1: Live from our nation's capital.
0: This budget thing is going to do nothing. Space Force, I still think it's
2: interesting. President Trump not playing his cards yet. Headlines, policy, and politics colliding.
1: Bloomberg Sound Off. The insiders, the influencers, the insights.
3: I would rather see a congressional solution. It's part of my DNA.
4: The Senate map in 2020 looks a lot different than it looked in 2018.
1: President Trump was sent here to smash conventional norms. In a sense, Bernie Sanders has already won. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Sorrell. on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2.
2: Bill Barr says he's his boss is making his job, quote unquote, impossible. The fallout, the drama following Roger Stone. Somewhere, Roger Stone. I would love to know what he thinks about all of his drama surrounding his sentencing. And President Trump continuing to respond. It's now the lead story again. I thought we were past the impeachment stuff. We're not. We're just going to dive right into it. And of course, the latest on the coronavirus. This is it's continuing to send some shockwaves through the financial world. Is General Secretary Xi Jinping really doing the proper job, and working with the United States. A lot of questions about that, folks. And, of course, 2020. Now in full-fledged 2020 mode as we inch closer to that Nevada, Las Vegas, Nevada debate next week. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Radio. Sari Kim's in the building. Sari Kim, Republican strategist, ditched D.C. for Dallas, former senior advisor in the Trump administration and attorney at Chief and Stone. She's back in Washington, so she's going to join us. And Roger Fisk, Democratic strategist, longtime President Obama, aide and principal of New Day strategy. Trouble, folks. The three of us together, you never know what's going to come out. This is going to be a fun show, which means I have to be serious because two of— my favorites are here. Sari e. Kim, Republican strategist, and Roger Fisk, a Democratic strategist. And I said in the intro, trouble with the three of us together. Who knows? I mean, who <laughs> knows? Who really knows? And I have off tomorrow, so this is technically my Friday. woo So And I, I said to Anthony Mancini, who's the big boss of Bloomberg Radio, <laughs> I called him before I came on the show, he is off tomorrow. He's headed to Bethany Beach. I said, I'm headed to my uncle's hoagie shop in Delco.
3: Oh, my God. So we can tell, like, the 60-minute version of the aristocrats joke. <laughs>
2: I <laughs> yeah. I'm going to Delco. Gonna get some hot wings with my dad. Gonna have my hoagie from from the best sandwiches in Delco ever for 43 years now from my uncle Mikey. And uh, I'm excited. That's you know, awesome. it how's be. how's what are you? It's Valentine's Day, so I get to see my parents because Kev's single. But go we ahead. are we are also <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
4: well, we are also going out of town. We're going to South Carolina too. What part? Montage, Palmetto Bluffs, like Hilton Head. Very
2: nice. Wow. A lot of folks are going to be headed down to South Carolina over the next couple of weeks, Roger. True. Who has the True. upper hand in the Democratic race? We'll talk about it coming up.
3: It's seemingly, <laughs> seemingly the current <laughs> occupant of the White House right now. But really, we'll, we'll, we'll see. I mean, he's 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 had a good week, and and uh, you know, primaries are always messy, right? And they're always kind of splintered and fractured. This feels like and, a giant mess. Yeah, and it should at this point. I mean, part of that is good in the sense of like it makes. The fall much more real and much more precipitous, right? And it's similar. I always think of it as like when Obama burned, uh, bombed uh, the first debate. It wakes people up to the idea that you know we could lose this, and that helps with organizing. It helps with motivation. It helps with focus.
2: But I, I feel I still feel like, and we're gonna talk about the main story coming up. But just to put a, a dot 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 on that for coming up, mm-hmm. I still feel like Bernie Sanders has been absolutely crushing it.
3: Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, first off, sometimes we overcomplicate things, and I always just like yes. a win is a win, right? Yes, and yes, and and Iowa was uh, had its had its problems. Um, he won. <laughs> he won New Hampshire. Uh, no, I, I'm not trying to make light of that, but any 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 one New Hampshire, he. Didn't meet some of the numbers that he had last time, but it was more binary, right? Because it was he was just him and one other person. So it's a broader field. And then I think the biggest story, and I know we'll get into this at some point, but the biggest story is two-tiered, which is one, uh, Senator Klobuchar. And then the, the addendum to that is the gap between Klobuchar and Warren. Because me... A proud bostonian um i've worked a lot of new hampshire races in my time and it's, if you're a u.s senator from a neighboring state you should have some level of organization that can head across that border and and knock on doors and, and and turn people out. So the forensics of this will be very interesting once we can actually dig into what happened up there.
2: Let's dig into the 2020 race coming up. But now let's begin tonight with our lead story. Reading from the Bloomberg Terminal, Attorney General William Barr said Donald Trump's tweets and public comments about the Justice Department and ongoing cases make his job, quote, unquote, Impossible, a rare public rebuke of the president by one of his most trusted cabinet members. I'm going to play for you now a portion of that interview that A.G. Barr gave with ABC News, Siri, and I want to get your response. Take a listen to Attorney General William Barr.
1: To have public statements and tweets made about
3: the department, uh, about uh, our people in the department,
1: our, our men and women here, about cases pending in the department. And about judges before whom we have cases, uh, make it impossible uh, for me to do my job.
2: So this is this is riveting because here's someone who is in lockstep up until now with President Trump, and it all comes uh, since. The Department of Justice was thrust into a crisis when it reversed course this week on a recommendation about how long time Roger Stone ally, or or Obama ally Roger Stone, about how long he would serve and go to prison for. Trump Uh, ally. Trump ally. Who did I say?
3: Obama. Obama. It was an overlap from, I think, I introducing s- me. Yeah, my bad. Okay, just <laughs> Lots for the of record, Rogers things right. I know
2: that Roger Stone is not an ally of Barack Obama <laughs> and is an ally. <laughs> Kicking of the of show off with agreement. Here I go. Anthony, are you listening? <laughs> I said, okay, Roger Stone, joking. Okay, Roger Stone, longtime ally of Trump, mm-hmm. that he got his prison sentence shortened after these public comments and now you have bar Sari Kim saying that it's impossible for him to do his job I'm, I'm, I'm baffled by this
4: well, I would recommend you not be baffled for two reasons. First and foremost, when sentencing guidelines goes into the Department of Justice, they're always under review. It's not like, you know, boxing up something and sending it back to Amazon Prime. There's a process that goes into effect. And so this is not unusual. This is much like when the Inspector General of the Department of Justice said that Attorney General Eric Holder flew 1.2 million dollars worth of private jets and it was illegal. These things happen. Sorry. I'm baffled that Barr is is speaking out. And so that, that would be the other thing. President Trump has always loved candor. And one of the reasons why Barr is held highly in regard is what you see is what you get, much like the president. And unlike, let's say, for instance, General Kelly, who would say one thing and do something else, what Barr is saying is what he feels. I like candor. I like candor
2: when someone picks up the phone and tells me what they're thinking, not when they go on ABC News, Roger. Yeah, I
3: I agreed with the first part of what Sari said, but there's scant evidence that the president appreciates being advised in public. And... I can't tell if this is kind of a kabuki dance on the attorney general's part, which is to say, hey, Mr. President, I'm going to go out there and have to you know, kind of establish a little bit of independence from the last 72 hours and just so you know, because I don't necessarily buy it. And I understand the process parts, but you would think that that consultation would happen when the case is being deliberated internally, not after the the prosecutors have submitted their sentencing recommendations to the judge. Those kind of conversations within the DOJ going, you know, in a in a vertical up and down between leadership and the frontline prosecutors would happen before that before that recommendation is made from the prosecutors. So I hear you on the process parts, but to expect it to happen after is a little unusual.
2: Let's hear from President Trump what he said yesterday. We don't have reaction yet on what he ha- what he has to say about barred on ABC News, but here's President Trump. I want to thank the justice department for seeing this this horrible thing and I didn't speak to him by the way, just so you understand.
1: They saw the horribleness of a 9-year sentence for doing nothing
2: that was President Trump. And coming up, we're going to talk a little bit more about this. We're also going to get fresh reaction from Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi on this saga as well. And, of course, on coronavirus and China, U.S.-China trade relations back into the forefront of the news cycle as Huawei developments shaking things up along with coronavirus. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. The kabuki dance continues with Roger Fisk and Sari Kim. You're listening to Bloomberg 991.
1: Listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2.
0: This is an abuse of power that the president is again trying to manipulate federal law enforcement to serve his political interest.
2: That was Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi. She was talking about Roger Stone, who got his uh, sentence reduced. You know what? I, I... I think he has a gag order on him still, so we can't hear from Roger Stone. But he you does. know somewhere down in Florida, folks, Roger Stone is just keeping a journal or doing something. And I have no reporting to back this up because I haven't spoken to him because he's got that gag order. But you know, I'm dying to know what Roger Stone has to say about all of this. Just think, he's in the center of the news cycle and Roger Stone can't talk. He's, he must be going crazy. Uh, Roger Fisk is here, longtime ally aide to former President Barack Obama. Obama, and Sari Kim is here. She's a Republican strategist, ditched us for Texas, and uh, maybe I'll be there for Super Tuesday, Sari.
4: Jerry Jones says, hello. I know how much you love the Dallas Cowboys, Mr. fan.
2: (sighs) (laughs) You know, literally, I got challenged (laughs) by a Did you hear the show? I mean but governor sanunu chris sanunu earlier uh-huh. this week literally challenged me to a fight when i went after the patriots
4: i'm telling you people take wow. football real serious and you go up there oh, and I in new hampshire well it was
2: it was disgusting to see how many people have patriots fan gear <laughs> on their have hats oh. they have they how have like, they've they jackets and jackets. sweatshirts sacrilege bumper stickers i said what's wrong with here people? i am at the one the one thing trump world and democrat no matter Bernie sander's world agrees on up there is they all like the patriots it's disgusting <laughs> anyway um so let's just put an endpoint point on this we just heard from speaker pelosi roger what can she do they already impeached him it didn't go anywhere
3: she can do nothing, and apparently the president can, you know, in the bar vision of Article Two, can do whatever he wants. And Barr's Barr's fingerprints are directly on that idea that has now infected the president's brain, um, because that didn't just happen in a vacuum. There's no. people around him that actually say, and and I know we're going to talk about war powers, but a lot of this gets back to that that kind of title push and pull as the White House changes uh, parties and things like that about the strong executive. And it goes back to the Vietnam War in some ways, and it goes back to 9-11 more recently. Um, And then people are, you know, it's kind of the classic reflective surface, right? When, when When a party's out of the White House, they want to rein in a president. When the party's in the White House, they're Big fans of a robust executive. Um, but to bring us full circle to your question, I mean, the, 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 the speaker's just acting as the most senior Democrat in the federal government and trying to hold uh, some kind of uh, spotlight on on the ethical, moral, political shortcomings of the administration, of which there are many.
4: So let's talk about two things. One would be the actual terminology. Abuse of power, because Nancy Pelosi has spent the last three to four months saying that abuse of power was at the heart of the Ukrainian issue they impeached the president on, it no longer has meaning. It's like when you put scotch tape to a wall and peel it off a bunch of time, it no longer sticks. That terminology doesn't work. She needs a new one if she's going to go after Trump. And second, as it relates to the war powers itself, um, it's fine that a couple of senators on the Republican Party you want to vote against the president? But well, let's the, go there. Okay. Let, let,
2: let's let's go there because to, just to catch everybody up to speed. Now that we've talked about uh, the whole situation with Roger Stone, the, the other big story today is how the Senate voted to restrict President Trump's ability to take military action against Iran. And eight. Republicans joined Democrats to approve a measure that would require express congressional approval before a strike. I'm reading from my colleague, from my colleague Daniel Flatley's reporting on the Bloomberg terminal. So Tim Kaine, Democrat from Virginia, introduced this. Resolution. And what it does is bars the United States troops from engaging in hostilities against Iran or in any part of its government or military unless Congress declares war or specifically authorizes the use of military force. I'm struck by this because this is a debate that has been going on for years. And uh, Mike Lee and Rand Paul, remember, a couple of weeks ago said that they didn't get an adequate briefing. But I mean, well, let,
3: Lee, and Lee was furious. But
2: furious. the problem is never not. Never seen that know, we had it. Never yeah, mind. Yeah.
4: But the problem is not what a couple of United States senators want. You have to always write the text tightly when you craft right. legislation. So this is what I was going to ask. And so you. this is the problem. As a former Hill staffer, as an attorney, if you write a word. It has to have significant effect. If you say strike, it has to mean something. A United States president has done, quote unquote, strikes for since the creation of the American presidency. You have to tightly construe that language. And they did a bad job. And that's why it's going to come out with only 55 and the president's going to veto it. But more important... Well, I, th- I
2: did, I did want to mention that. So the president, as, of, as it stands right now, has the ability to override to so override it. I mean, here, no, they don't have the votes to override it as yes. it stands right now. The president's going to veto it.
4: Right. And then the second thing is just basically national security. You have seen your listeners do. All four of us right. have seen it. When you have a highly partisan environment and you don't have access to all the information, people make decisions that we don't even know about. So why should the United States Department of Defense, which is under the executive, be constrained by partisan politics? So let
2: me let me ask you this and quickly. So you, according to the wordage and the language of this particular uh, legislation that they voted on today, this, this do you think it's specific enough, or would it hold up in court? To keep the president, Sari Kim, from from acting uh, against an imminent threat in Iran, absolutely no, not. No, do you and do you, Roger Fisk?
3: No, because so, he would just go ahead and do whatever he wanted, and the GOP would roll over. And
2: I say this respectfully, Roger, but the previous administration, Obama, which happens to be Democrat, and the administration before that, Republican Bush, mm-hmm. I mean, both of those administrations used drones strikes used right. other military there are troops overseas I mean it I, I get from a from a non-political junkie non-national security perspective what today's legislation does and what it signifies but to hold it up in court it, 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 it dare I say it feels impractical.
3: I would more come at it categorically rather than nation-specific, and say the War Powers Act can be re-upped every 18 months with some, you know, margin in in the Senate or something like that, because I think one of the issues here, and it, and it gets somewhat to, to Sari's point about you know the wording is it must, shall, should, won't, will, that kind of stuff, but also. If it's so elastic that it can encompass any situation and it can ultimately mean everything, then mm-hmm. it really ultimately means nothing in the sense of like if, if it can just be willy nilly applied to any situation in the world, then it's then it's it's time to uh, bring it to a full stop and then and modernize it.
2: All right, coming up, we're going to talk more about this as well as the U.S. and China. This conversation that we're having, by the way, I don't think it's had enough. Mm -hmm. I think it's so polarized right now. But what Roger just said, what you just said, Sari, in terms of there actually is unity on it. And and it's a very complex issue and nuanced. And I appreciate it, especially when we're able to see past party lines. I'm Kevin Cirilli. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1.
1: This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. The Senate just sent a, a clear shot across the bow. A bipartisan majority of senators don't want the president waging war without congressional approval.
2: That's Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer, Democrat from New York, talking about that War Powers Act that passed 55 to 45 in the Senate today, aimed at sending a message to President Trump as it relates to military action against Iran. But president said he's going to veto it, and the votes aren't there for an override. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. Sari Kim's here, Republican strategist, former senior advisor of the Trump administration, and attorney at Chief and Stone in Texas. Dallas, Texas, mm-hmm. and Roger Fisk, Democratic strategist, longtime President Obama aide and principal of New Day strategy. You know, Sarah, I got to be honest, just because I, I think folks, if they're in their car on their way home from work, we've been eating this whole time. Not while people have been, while we've been talking, and we haven't been talking with or their mouthful, but we have been shoving Girl Scout cookies.
4: Uh, by we, do you mean you? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, I uh, Allow
3: you? us to translate for, for okay. everyone out in their cars.
4: Well, that's because Barada.
2: our our executive producer now i'm off bike because i'm reaching for more girl scout cookies (laughs) she got me two boxes the toffee tastic ones and the trefoils which are the best
4: girl scout cookies are so good but they are five dollars roger yeah
3: put a couple of those in a blender with some ice cream it's good like before you go to the gym or something
2: yeah (laughs) or when you wake up breakfast what's your favorite girl scout cookie uh, I like I'm, them I'm all. A, I'm oh. a Thin Mint guy. Thin Mint no. Frozen. But We've also got a- like Samoas. the Samoas. Samoas. Yes. Coconut. Sam- oh, yeah. So yes. I put the thin mints in the freezer.
4: I do too. I put my Samoas and in the freezer. And you put them o- over your eyes when you wake up <laughs>
2: or in, the, in the morning. <laughs> I don't know what the heck when this tradition started, but I got to tell you my whole life I've loved those Girl Scout cookies. It's a great tradition. It's I hope a great Anthony tradition.
4: has some on his way to Rehoboth. Oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's
2: probably like Kevin, please get back to the political business show. <laughs> okay, so let's get back to it. Okay, Bernie Sanders, we kicked off the show, Roger talking about 2020 just a little bit, but let's go back to it. I mean, this is a massive, massive, I, I, dare I say, a populist candidate who has ascended to the top of the pack. And now we're just a, a few weeks away from the Nevada uh, Nevada uh, caucus. And the top union, the powerful union, Culinary Workers Union on Thursday, I, this is a huge deal for anyone who's a political junkie like us. They did not endorse a candidate. And it, it was... The biggest loser in this dynamic is Joe Biden. Big time. Because he was seen as a shoo-in to get the Culinary Workers Union, which is all of the restaurant workers across the state, ahead of the February 22nd contest. And the fact that they're not doing this is like, for everyone who says Iowa and New Hampshire don't matter, it does. Because otherwise, Joe Biden, if he would have had a strong showing in Iowa and in New Hampshire, would have picked up- Iowa used to matter. Well, no, but but I'm serious. If he had no, finished, so that he that he that you know he would have done this. So, Roger, I'll, I'll kick it off with you as a Democrat who who knows everyone knows how Nevada works and everything. I mean, wow, I, I was struck by this. Yeah,
3: no, absolutely. I think it I think it brings in like a head and heart kind of tug of war. Um, because we're Nevada's the first overtly kind of labor state right so then and you just reference this but the unions kind of have to look at you know their heart you know they've been with with Joe in some form or another for quite a while or like more philosophically more in tune with kind of like their agenda um, than they have Bernie. So it'll be very interesting. Each each of the top and middle tier have uh, interesting challenges ahead of them. For example, Senator Klobuchar has to – Hire about a thousand people in the next 48 hours um, to be able to staff up eight and 10 dates down the calendar, right? If she's going to take this uh, little window of opportunity and, and turn it into some kind of sustainable movement. And then you can just tick down the ticket. Buttigieg has to prove. Uh, that he can start to compete in multiple states at once and also in more diverse states. So it'll be very, very interesting to see how this all plays out. And I think the field's going to be a lot smaller after and possibly even before Super Tuesday.
4: So I would say three quick things. One, the same organization chose not to endorse anybody in 2016. So this is the second time out that they um, have decided to not endorse. So two, Again, when we talk about endorsements, when we talk about primary states, we are talking about a traditional model, which President Donald Trump decimated in 2016. Polling doesn't matter. States doesn't matter. What matters is the personality and the message. And the Democrats are flailing to try to find one. And the third thing that I would remind people is that while we look at Michael Bloomberg and while we put him aside saying he has so much money, he's just buying the vote, this, that, and the other, people fail to realize that he is a very Successful man and money. If that was the only thing that people were judging, we've had two other billionaires in this race. Howard is out, the Starbucks CEO. Tom Steyer is in, but his 200 million isn't buying him very much media attention. And I think the Democrats and the Republicans, so long as they continue to silo Michael Bloomberg because he has a lot of money, are doing themselves a huge disservice. He was successful in the private sector, he was successful as New York City mayor, and people are buying his message of success.
3: To dovetail on your point, because I agree with much of what you just said, um, Styer Steyer actually started spending money in the third and the fourth state uh, a couple months ago. So you different than iowa new hampshire and i don't i'm not privy to any of his calculus obviously but um you are seeing his you, you are seeing movement in his numbers um for example amongst african-american voters in south carolina i think he's up into the mid-teens which is is very very interesting i'm not in anyone's Tank or on anyone's side or anything, um, so I don't know if that's a result of him holding off on some spending in some of those early states, and then and then banking more towards Nevada and and uh, and uh, in South Carolina. But his numbers are moving, so I agree with you uh, in some ways. Um, but money, you know, still can can nudge these things as long as there's well, a as long as there the connection between the individual and the movement and the
2: moment are kind of harmonious. Well, Tom Steyer has also been on the debate stage. Mm-hmm. Tom Steyer has also had a tax And so I think now, over the past 48 hours, we've started to see some of the political Mm -hmm. scrutiny against uh, Mm -hmm. former New York City Mayor Michael Bloomberg, particularly as it relates to stop Mm -hmm. and frisk. And you've seen Valerie Jarrett come out and and say that he needs to do more in terms of defending that audio from 2015 from the Aspen Institute. And should he qualify for Mm -hmm. the next week's debate, I would imagine that that his political rivals will raise those scrutiny. And and just as a disclaimer, uh, Michael Bloomberg, who's seeking the Democratic presidential nomination, is the founder and majority owner of Bloomberg LP, the parent company of Bloomberg Radio. To bring it back to Nevada, however... Uh, Bloomberg's not competing mm-hmm. aggressively. I don't even the know if he
3: wants to be on those debate stages, frankly. Right.
2: But, <laughs> but again, he's it, not competing in South Carolina. It, but let me, let me, uh, not to, I mean, go ahead, say your point. I'm not trying to cut you off. So go no, ahead.
4: No, it's fine. I just want to say it. But again, talking about dis- debate stages is a traditional model. right? And Michael Bloomberg is doing the non-traditional yeah. thing that Donald Trump did in 2016. Yeah,
2: but but again, key. De- I disagree with you. I think... Bloomberg, I'm not Trump showed up to all the debates. And I think that, you know, as people want to know who their candidate is more than they want to, I don't know. We'll, we'll find out. But I think it'll be interesting, especially as questions about his records are raised. You know, talking to voters on a debate stage is, is a way to do that. Uh, but for Nevada, again, we. this is why I push back against the notion that the early caucus and primary states don't matter, because if they didn't matter, Biden would still be a front runner, and he's not seen as one. And so 60,000 members are in the Nevada Culinary Union, mm-hmm. 60,000 members. And Las Vegas and Reno, okay, half of them, 30,000, okay, more than half, mm-hmm. so more than 30,000 of those members in those unions are Latino, mm-hmm. Okay. How many people voted in the 2016 Nevada caucus? 84,000 people. That mm-hmm. right there shows you the power if only a fraction of these folks show up um, and, and they're to do it. So I'm baffled that they wouldn't endorse. Um, I'm, I'm very surprised by that. But, you know. Go ahead, Sarah.
4: Well, I was going to say this is where Senator Sanders needs to really corral yeah. what he wants to do in this election because that association came out and said that because his online supporters attacked them so much, they couldn't actually do anything to support him, or else their people wouldn't pay dues.
2: Oh, trolls! I, I'm so. Maybe it's because I grew up. I've never known journalism without social media. I think there's a lot people need manners with social media. I get it, but at the same time, like. Get off of social media. If you don't like the trolls, don't don't pay attention to the trolls. Coming up, much more from the panel. What's their quick take? What's on their radar? We find out. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. Download the Bloomberg Sound on podcast on Apple iTunes at Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. You can also find us on Radio.com, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1.
1: You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2.
2: There's so much news that happened today. So much news. I mean, Judy Shelton was on Capitol Hill and that was President Trump's pick to lead the Fed. And uh, for the Federal Reserve Board, not to lead the Fed, for the Federal Reserve Board, Judy Shelton. And she got questioned by Republican members of the Republican-controlled Senate Banking Committee. Senator Richard Shelby of Alabama, Patrick Toomey from Pennsylvania, John Kennedy from Louisiana, all said that they had not decided if they are going to vote for confirm her. That's really remarkable, folks. So The president's picked for the Federal Reserve Board, now under fire. So there's that. Uh, Blinken, you'll miss it. And then we talked about the feud brewing between Attorney General William Barr, who's talking to ABC News uh, about President Trump and saying that the tweets about Roger Stone are making his job, quote-unquote, impossible. Well, John Kelly, the president's former chief of staff, is now weighing, he's attacking Trump on the whole issue with the impeachment. And then President Trump's tweeting at uh, that he couldn't have fired Kelly fast enough and that the retired Marine Corps general was in way over his head, quote-unquote, way over his head as the top uh, White House chief of staff. That's according to President Trump's uh, tweets. And I'm told we have a SOT, Christine Barada in the control room, our executive producer. Let's, let's play from John Kelly what he had to say uh, last night when he was at Drew University in New Jersey and what he said about Lieutenant Colonel Vindman and the whole Ukraine phone call. Here he is. He
1: thought he heard an illegal order. And we teach them,
3: A, don't follow an illegal order. And if you if you ever get the given one, you will, you will raise to whoever gives it to you that this is an illegal order.
2: So there he's talking about Lieutenant Colonel Vindman, whom the president has gotten rid of, and the whole situation with the Ukraine phone call. So there's that that's brewing. But... You know, I mean, it's just another day in Washington. I'm Kevin cerilli chief Washington correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. Until Roger-
3: Trump gets his hands on whoever hired Kelly to begin with. That's He's Roger Fisk, that their Democratic strategist
2: for the hour, and Sarah Kim is here, our Republican strategist. I had to mention the Judy Shelton and the John Kelly story because that neither of those things are what's on my radar, and they're not my quick take. But I. I would be remiss if I didn't spend time on them. And I'm not trying to fly through them, but Mm -hmm. if you guys want to weigh in on either of them before we move on, go for it. Well,
4: I mean, there's just a fuselage of data, so it's kind of hard to consume everything that happens. The news cycle is like more
2: fast. And we only have 60 minutes. <laughs> 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 um,
4: Anthony, we would like two hours. Uh, but I would actually say the most the the most interesting name that you just mentioned is Senator Pat Toomey. Yes, that's agreed. my quick take for the day. I've read multiple articles today about how much money um, former Mayor Bloomberg has been spending in this race. And interestingly, he gave 11. To Toomey. 0.3 million dollars to Pat Toomey. I would like somebody to give me that money. But the most important statistic out of all of that is that since Bloomberg is paying so much money for staffers, the down ticket candidates can't hire Because if you're going to be a field campaign manager for a state assemblyman and Michael Bloomberg will pay you triple that to go knocking on doors for him in California, what are you going to do? So if he does win the Democratic nomination and does become president of the United States, but in state houses and in Congress, you can't have members that are Democratic, too, that does no good.
2: Wow. So you're saying that there's... Other repercussions to this, correct? That people, well, and I would, I mean, I would also raise the issue. Okay, but if you're, if you're looking to break into, you said Pennsylvania, for example, if mm-hmm. you're looking to break into Pennsylvania politics, there, you know, there, it's not, there is something to be said for working for a down ballot race, if that's your on either party, if that's if that's your chosen career path.
4: But if you're 22 years if you're old, 22, and yeah. I used to be 22, I been 22 ago. twice.
2: <laughs> I, I, back, back uh, yesterday. I'm just kidding. <laughs>
4: <laughs> I can't. I can't be serious when Rogers says. <laughs> Neither can I,
2: and it makes me nervous because I I forget that I'm on radio. Yeah.
4: But there's something to be said. Like um, Joe Lockhart, who was President Clinton's White House press secretary, he said that he made fifteen hundred dollars a month when he was outfield organizing, and that experience and knowledge helped carry him into the White House. Sometimes mm, no. when things are easy for you, and you made six thousand dollars a month as a twenty-two year old doing politics, that's going to have ramifications. 10 years down the line. These people are gonna to expect to make money that they shouldn't, and they should have to suffer a little bit. I knocked on so many doors. Okay, we're
2: not going to turn this into the, like, when I was a kid, uh, (laughs) but I will say, when I was a kid working (laughs) at Politico, I had a weekend job at the Java Shack in Arlington, which they just shut down last week, or last month, and I was devastated. The best coffee in Arlington, across the river, they shut it down. I said, what's going on with that? But I love that place. Anyway, uh, just as a disclaimer, Michael Bloomberg, who's seeking the Democratic presidential nomination, is the founder and majority owner of Bloomberg LP, the parent company of Bloomberg Radio, so here's a fast fact for you. I can make a mean, a mean, mean Girl
3: Scout cookie shake.
2: Not a. Gr- I can do that because I used to work at Cold Stone Creamery, but uh, a uh, latte. I'm Ooh. Good. Fun fact, Fun or, what fact. I, or a macchiata. Anyway, anyway, what's your quick take on your radar? I like that one, Sari, a lot. That that gives you a lot to think about. It gives you the business of politics mm-hmm. for career staffers, and um, Amos Sneed actually wrote a whole book on that. So it's interesting. Go ahead.
3: First off, shout out to my neighbors, Maria and Sylvia. Maria and Sylvia, your small little infant uh, listeners. How old are they? Two and a half and five and a half. Okay. Well, first of all, all the time on their way home from school.
4: Shout out to your wife. Happy Valentine's Day! I'm throwing you under the bus, Roger. (laughs) Wait,
2: Sylvia and Maria and Maria. Hopefully, this is more entertaining than cartoons.
3: And to switch gears to uh, what's <laughs> on my radar lately, stumbled on a very interesting fact. And yes. me, there's a lot of twos involved, so let me see if I can get this out smoothly. A for-profit venture is two times more likely to succeed if it has one founder rather than two.
2: Wow. Okay.
3: And corollary to that is the flip side, which is a non-profit venture, is not all the way to two times as likely, but it's more likely to succeed with two founders rather than one. The, f- the exact inverse.
2: Wow, how does the, how is that applicable to uh, this town? Seriously.
3: Well, I mean, DC is becoming a little bit more tech. A little, there's yeah. more startups uh, as the kind of app world builds itself around politics and things like that. And there's also a relatively vibrant VC, situ- you know, scene going on here. Um, so I just thought that was really interesting that you would think uh a combination of talents would you know kind of statistically enhance the chance for Agreed. success but there's something about just a singular vision and allowing that singular vision to you know become operationalized um, I love that. This.
2: Isn't that interesting? It's very interesting. Yeah. Because especially go. where there's so we're living in a time where everything's so fragmented. Yeah. So to hear that really, I think one could argue puts it in perspective. Great one. So here's what's my quick take on my radar as I as I set out tomorrow to return to Delco to have chicken wings with my father and go to Uncle Mikey's hoagie shop. Uh coronavirus. <laughs> <laughs>
4: <laughs> I thought you were gonna say Chicky Cirilli. Oh, my <laughs>
2: mom! I can't wait to see my mom and my best friend from growing up, Jeffrey. Uh, no, I'm so excited for President's Day weekend, and I'll be back next week. But. <laughs> but.
3: If we're all here after I, this virus spreads around. No, you. but I
2: mean it is the coronavirus and how we talked about yesterday about how the Chinese are not allowing the best scientists in the mm, world from the United right. States to go into China to help. I mean this is a global thing. It's impacting everyone. It's impacting airlines. It's Airbus has a 75% stake in the in in a joint venture as it relates to to the coronavirus. I mean everything is just it's so interconnected mm-hmm. and the fact that they're not allowing for support is just I, I it, it's freezing it's anti-American every, it's, and I guess I don't understand it because I'm American,
3: but everyone is ramping down their activity. Like I go to Asia a couple times yeah. a year and even like conference, like, like marketing conferences in Malaysia yeah. are like punting until Q3. Cause they're like, no one's going to come here in Q1.
2: No one. And just, if that wasn't enough, Huawei has been hit with a racketeering charge in the expanding U S case. So Huawei, the world's largest maker of telecommunications equipment, uh, they are now using uh, the U.S. is is raising the stakes in this battle with Huawei using a law historically associated with what you guessed it the mafia throwing them with the book. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg TV and Radio. See you next week, folks. Thanks for listening to Bloomberg ninety nine one.